What movie blew you away? Now, that question can take on many forms. Because then they could say, what do you mean? What film did I see someone get blown away? <laughs> I'm asking a friend that question. For me, films have such a strength and a power. And the same could be said about really good music. And I was talking to someone, um, I'll name drop him. We were talking about Slipknot. And for me, the classic Slipknot album is volume three, the subliminal verses, because the, the whole darkness of that album, of the making of that album. Um, let me give a shout out to... Will, Red Will Vinyl of France, yeah, and, you know, just, just the feeling that we get from music, and, and good films, you know, there are certain films that I've seen, it's like something out of a, a metal music video, bands that blow me away, music that blows me away, and it's and it's all interconnected, you know. I, I often get made fun of by other podcasters because it's called the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast, but I also talk about music. Well, because it's all connected. It's all connected. Right now I'm looking at a DVD of Robert Maplethorpe. He was very connected with not just photography, but music. Think of that album cover that he did of Patti Smith, Horses, and how iconic that is. And the gender bending within it. You know, she's wearing a man's suit. And that's what Maplethorpe liked to capture. That, that became the essence of his career, was pushing the envelope. That's what really good films do. Last night we talked about Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, which really pushed the envelope. Not just performance, not just style-wise. But also, the after effect. The after effect of a film sometimes isn't felt for years. Sometimes it's instantaneous. But sometimes it takes a long time for certain films to really just be felt. And... Um, you know, you could say that about Groundhog Day, how now, I mean, Groundhog Day at the time was a, it was a big hit. But now, I think because people feel like, you know, with the pandemic, they were living Groundhog Day. So, yes, it's, it's become a crazy, crazy time. And film and music capture that. They capture the essence of that. And um, for, I was going to say to Will, the reason why I love the subliminal verses is because the the whole making of that record was dark, and um, I think that was the only time they ever worked with Rick Rubin, and uh, it strangely won them a Grammy, which they didn't really seem to care about, which is fine. It's just a doorstop. And sadly, it would lead into what would become All Hope Was Gone. And after that, I mean, yeah, it was almost like that album was prophetic. Subliminal Verses, Subliminal Verses, Volume 3, 
was released on May 25th, 2004, 18 years ago, recorded between 2003 and 2004, produced by Rick Rubin. Duality, Vermilion, Vermilion Part 2, Before I Forget, The Nameless, The Blister Exits, the Before I Forget won them a Grammy, where they were demasked in the music video. Some say that's what won them the Grammy, but eh. <sighs> and then All Hope is Gone followed in 2008. What a great band. They've been around since the 90s. And we could we could put them to, you know, a soundtrack. They could be the soundtrack to The Northman or be the soundtrack to Tarantino's next film because they're that great. It it all fits together. It's I've talked about Ennio Morricone before and how his music fits a film like a glove. Because without that music, you don't have the true essence of a film. Film and music, they're bound to each other. Whether it's John Williams' theme in Jaws, or Ennio Morricone in The Hateful Eight. Or what's another one? I mean, there's there's so many. There's uh, Burn. You know, there's a. Uh, in terms of really great composers. And the scores and. Uh, The great, you know, there's there's a uh, Fargo. Oh my God, that theme! Yes, everyone talks about the TV show, and I get it. But the film, that that score by Carter Brewell, uh, Burwell. If you've ever heard, I th I think I could play it without getting in trouble. Oh my God, that score. And I love it because, you know, when Frances McDormand won her Oscar, her one of three, four, I'm sorry, three for acting, they played the Fargo theme. And it, I mean, the, the, it's like you almost want to hear it on repeat. And it's Fargo, North Dakota, the soundtrack, because that's, I think that's what the track is called. And it plays at the beginning of the film. And then it plays at the end of the film. And um, here we go. Copyright 1996.
So that's the Fargo theme. And I played that because that film, if you think about that, that was 26 years ago when Fargo came out. Okay. 25 years ago it won the Oscar for screenplay and for best actress. And when Frances McDormand won that theme, I mean, here we go. It is impossible to maintain one's composure in this situation. What am I doing here? <laughs> we know what you're doing here. You earn the award. And I played that because think about that, how iconic that theme is. And at the time, I don't think the film world really realized what they had in terms of Fargo. Those of us who watched it knew, but the fact that the Oscars only gave it a few, you know, they gave Best Picture to The English Patient, or as Elaine from Seinfeld said, it sucked. And here is this, I mean, now they would have given it to Fargo because it's this dramedy. It's got elements of humor. It's disturbing. And you've got Frances McDormand playing a pregnant cop. And... But and then the music, how it all weaves together, and films do that, and that's the power of music and film coming together. Whereas, um, there's another one where they took well, I'll just play the intro for you, and you'll realize where we're going here. It was me 
that is Alex, and my three Drews, that is Pete, Georgie, and Dim. And we sat in the Corova milk bar, trying to make up our Razoo dogs what to do with the evening. So see, we go from the Cohen brothers to Kubrick. The extremes. And A Clockwork Orange, if you listen to the music now, we haven't gotten to the point where Alex, the character, is obsessed with Beethoven. And Beethoven is played a lot in the film. But that music is by Wendy Carlos, who worked extensively with Stanley Kubrick. She said many times he drove her crazy. And Wendy Carlos worked on... um, Oh, as of 2020, much of Carlos's discography is out of print and has not been licensed for digital distribution just for streaming or download platforms. Uh-oh. Well, Wendy, I'll give you a copyright Warner Brothers Records 1971 for A Clockwork Orange. Don't come after me, please. She also did The Shining and Tron. Yeah. See the see the relationship between music and film? And the Clockwork Orange, that's, you know, you look at now, and a lot of the dystopian stuff kind of lingers into today's consciousness. And A Clockwork Orange, I mean, oh, that's such a disturbing film to watch, as is Fargo. But then if we were to remix it and you put the pregnant cop from Fargo in A Clockwork Orange, she will clean it up. She will clean it up. She is a good marks markswoman, and she will just shoot, and boom. Yeah, amazing. When I talk about these films, and when I talk about their relationships to us, you know, it it conjures a moment. That's what that's what films and music do. They conjure these emotions within us. And I thought, let's end tonight. I'm probably going to get in trouble for playing these. And I don't care. And I do it out of love. But John Williams. I think John Williams is going to retire soon. Um, I'm not sure. But um, John Williams, this one's for you because I was watching this over the weekend. Whenever it's on, you can't help but watch it. Not talking about E.T. Here we go. And see how the music heightens it? Without that music, do you think everyone's going to be scared of that shark or even know that the shark is coming? Because what 
Spielberg did was so brilliant. I don't think we give Spielberg enough credit. People, yeah, oh, he's a popcorn director. Um, but the fact that he did a very Hitchcockian thing right there is you didn't see the shark till like half the film. And then when you actually see the shark up close, because they had problems with the shark, his name was Bruce. And here we are, um, 50, or no, 40, oh geez, 40, was it 47 years? 47 years. That film, my God. 1975, I wasn't even a thought. And my parents had just married that year, so... And they talked about the first time seeing Jaws. And then I remember I was a little kid the first time I saw it. And it freaked me out. It still freaks me out. Just seeing another little kid getting eaten. And I've not ruined it. Because I think all of you have pretty much seen Jaws. Even to this day, it terrifies me. But it's so it's like a car crash. You can't help but watch. And the performances. I mean, you've got... Um, Oh, jeez, Jaws. Jaws is one of those films, the fact that we're still talking about it, that film really put Steven Spielberg on the map. Steven Spielberg, I think his first film was, um, it was a film with Goldie Hawn. Um, it escapes me right now, but thanks to the power of the web, we're going to... Okay, he did Duel, and then he did Sugarland Express, and then he did, of course, Jaws. <sighs> Jaws, 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 this film, even the making of it. I mean, the, those are the films that really stay with you. Is Not only was the making terrifying <laughs> and an arduous process, but the actual film itself, you look at the finished product of Jaws, and it really it it's not just a blockbuster. There's every it's it's very it's a nod to Hitchcock. It really is. And um, I often pronounce his name wrong, and so I want to say it right. This is of course many of the cast are gone. They're no longer with us. Roy Sheeter. Roy Sheeter is Chief Martin Brody, who died. Um, in the two thousand, I think two thousand ten, Robert Shaw, who played Quint, who died in nineteen seventy eight, Richard Dreyfus, Matt Ho Hooper is still with us. Lorraine Gary uh, Elaine Brody is still with us. She's in her eighties. Um, okay, Murray Hamilton as Mayor uh, Larry Vaughn. You know that really fucked up mayor. He died in the eighties. I know, you know, because sometimes you want to know, are they dead or alive? Okay, and Meadows, he's still with us. All right. Um, Jeffrey Kramer is Deputy Hendricks. He's still with us. I know. It's, well, we have to do a roll call. Come on. Susan Blackleany as Chrissy Watkins. Remember the girl who gets eaten at the beginning of the film? She's still with us. Um... Mrs. Kinter, who, remember, the little boy was eaten. She died in 2020. She was 91 years old. I don't think she was an actor at first. So, And then Peter Benchley as interviewer. 
He died in 2006. But John, I mean, that, that, think of that theme, how intense, how powerful that theme is. You would not have that film without the theme. So my fellow podcasters who often like to laugh at me and point their fingers, pull my finger, that, oh, my God, Dr. Zeus Film Podcasting, you talk about music as well because it is connected, motherfuckers. It's connected. And John Williams and Wendy Carlos and um, the gentleman who did Fargo. I'm looking up his name right now. <laughs> All OS and Ennio Morricone. Oh God, Ennio Morricone. I I I would eat um, expired eggs for for Ennio Morricone. Ennio Morricone just perfecto. I mean, it's it's like in Living Color. Remember? Oh, don't nobody say anything bad about Miss Jenkins. You won't get me to say anything bad or fucked up about Ennio Morricone. He didn't learn English, and I respect that. That says something about him. And I respect the fact he refused to move to Hollywood. All right. Aw. Okay, still with us. Um, oh, he often does um, a lot of uh, Coen Brothers films. Carter Burwell. Carter, Carter Burwell, who did Raising Arizona, Blood Simple, Fargo, The Big Lebowski, No Country for Old Men. Burn After Reading, Hail Caesar, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Oh, God. He received Oscar nominations for Carol and Three Billboards out of Ebbing, Missouri. Uh, okay. I don't think he's ever won. No, he hasn't. He wasn't even nominated for Fargo. How fucked up that was. Yeah. Blood Simple is so scary. The theme. The theme. Oh, my God. God, oh my God, that's what it's about. That's what builds these films. And that's what we're going to end with tonight is the blood simple theme. Because when I first heard that theme, oh shit. It's so menacing, it's so dark, and yet it's on piano. So that's the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. And tomorrow, it's almost tomorrow, we're going to do a special on a gentleman whom I not only have the utmost respect for, but taught me a lot. And we will talk about him tomorrow. But right now in Canada, it's his birthday. And so happy birthday, George Strombolopoulos, Strombo who gave me some really great advice. I've never forgotten it and has continued to show us what it means to be a very, very important individual in music, in politics, and just fighting for what's right. And that's why I have a lot of respect for him because he is authentically himself himself. 
and he loves what he loves and he shows it and um thank you for telling me always giving my audience a promise so at the end of the tonight's dr zeus fun podcast my promise is to say what i always say to honor not only my cousin who loves this but also the woman who even back in the 80s i thought she was so cool and that's elvira so as always unpleasant dreams (laughs) 